Welcome to this special preseason episode of Depolarize. It's a bonus. It's bonus. Uh, we are here to introduce Ellen Morrow, our new, my new co-host for the season. Ellen, I think the first thing we should talk about before we learn what we're going to learn about you is what the division of labor is like now at Depolarize. It's not like a straight co-hosting like on the Today Show. Like I watched the Today Show. <laughs> or I don't Regis know. and Kathy Lee. Oh, I see. You like, know what I'm saying? A his and hers. It's not just like 50-50. We're diving into this together. I have a lot more time on my hands than you. No, you... I would say this is your podcast and I'm just in for the fun of it. Well, that's... Well, yeah. That's probably more realistic. That's closer to the truth. Um, I would describe it like this. I'm working on this idea and, and doing this work and interviewing these people, but then... I'm really close to it, and I benefit from having you there as basically standing in for the listener, hearing it, responding to it in real time, and talking to me about it. That's kind of how I envision your role. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah. Okay. But so that's what you're here to do. You're kind of um, an ideal listener, you might call it, and we're chatting as we go so that we can process this information uh, and to help listeners process the information. But let's learn a little bit about you. So can you start by giving us just some basic background, like how old are you, where are you from, you're, you're married, you have a kid, talk about that. That was it. <laughs> uh, I am 34, and I'm hanging on to 34, even though I will be shortly 35, hanging on. Uh, I have an 18-month-old daughter named Phoebe, and my husband's name is Cole. I was born and raised in Seattle, and now I live in the suburbs. Of Seattle. North, yes, north of Seattle. Yeah, uh, not too far from us. Um, what was I'm going to steal a, a question from one of my favorite shows, On Being, and this is a question that Krista Tippett asks every guest. What was the religious character of your upbringing? Well, it it's a robust story that I would love to talk a lot about, but in short, my parents were part of Maranatha Ministries in the South, and they moved here to start a church at the UW to have a college campus for Maranatha Ministries, and my dad pastored that church for many years, and it was a non-denominational, charismatic church. Okay. So a lot of, like, slain in the Holy Spirit, casting out demons kind of kind of stuff. Yeah. And and so you stayed in that church until college or what? No, uh, my dad moved around a little bit, ended up being a co-pastor of another church in, uh, it doesn't really matter where it was, but it's in Both Bothell. Um, and that ended up being a lot more, not as charismatic, more rigid and and a little, uh, you know, th that church had been there for decades. So I think it was just a different experience. And then my dad uh, ended up getting out of pastoring after a huge church split drama, as most people experience, or at least know someone who's experienced once in their life. So he hasn't been pastoring in a church for, I don't know, 15, 20 years now. He's, okay. he's a chaplain at the fire department, and he has been for 25, 30 years. Okay. So when you went to college, uh, did you go away to college? No, I went to beauty school. I need to stop laughing when I say that because it was a real career. I went to beauty school right out of high school. And I, uh, so right when I was 
17 or 18 and I got my uh, degree and started working at a salon and I just started doing hair for lots of prom girls <laughs> but <laughs> ended up being kind of cool because I did a lot of photo shoots for bands and okay cool so you did that work you got married and got pregnant and now you work part-time and raise your daughter and doing a few different things, right? Right. I feel like we just broad brushed about 20 years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> like I worked at a salon and then now I'm here. Um, <laughs> well, is there anything important to fill in during that gap for people to understand who you are? No, but people should call me because I'd love to talk about it. <laughs> Lots of world... Lots of world wisdom. Okay, so but no specifics for now. Just people can hit you up if they want to know what you did between the age of 18 and 30. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. Find her, send There's her a, a lot message. Of, a lot of nuggets in there. A lot of celebs. Oh, you met a lot of celebrities in a that time? A lot of celebs. Whoa, okay. I don't want to give away too much, but... That's why name dropping needs to be done in private, not on oh, the air. Oh, okay. Is that what you're saying? Ringo Starr touched my leg. <laughs> <laughs> slash spilled my drink. I've got a lot more stories. We can wow. get to that. Okay, great. When did you first get interested in politics or issues that we might consider political? Well, it's hard to say because I feel like my religion and my politics were not my own. My parents were always very, very, very right, especially my mom. She would always have Rush Limbaugh on while she was quilting. Yeah. And so I just always thought that to be the truth because my mom was a very, very smart, compassionate, prayerful woman. So I just assumed that that was the right thing to be listening to. And then I think the first time I could vote was when George W. was up for his maybe second. Probably 2004. Yeah. And all I knew was that the president gets to decide about... Abortion. So that's the only thing I know about is abortion is bad. And so mm -hmm. I was all about George Bush. I didn't know. I didn't think about the fact that there are, you know, thousands of other things to consider. I just I guess I was, as we say, the single issue voter. Yeah. Back then. But what's interesting to me, I mean, so that I think a lot of us can relate to that. You know, I, I was raised with Rush Limbaugh on the car radio on the way home as well. And we're exactly the same age. Um, and so we, we know what it's like to sort of inherit our parents' politics or their religion or whatever. But what strikes me as interesting is that you are still passionate about the pro-life or the life cause. So what made you transition from, well, I'm just inheriting this one issue voting around 2004 to now being much more sort of self-educated and looking into that more and feeling much more passionate about it? Well, I think that getting to know people of all faiths and all backgrounds really broadened my view of the things that I ought to be caring about. And this includes things like gay marriage and can you be gay and be a Christian and all of these things, a lot of uh, racial stuff. And there was a time a good portion of years when I would have been comfortable having an abortion because it really was just, I, I wouldn't be able to have fathomed having a child 
Mm. and the shame that would have come from that. There was a time when I was dating a worship pastor and I thought I was pregnant and I had to take a pregnancy test in the church office. Oh my gosh. And there was no accountability. And let me just be clear, this was not Mars Hill, okay? Okay, this is <laughs> this not is... Mars Hill, yeah. And I remember thinking, like, I'm not even, I mean, I was terrified, but I'm not even that scared because I will just have an abortion. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm such an adult. I'm such an adult now, and I've changed so much that I am that I think differently about that. Mm. And I can't believe that when I was young, it was just such a black and white issue. And then, you know, th- so this was... 12 years ago or something like that. And then uh, over the next several years, as I, uh, there was a time when I moved across the country to Nashville and I've just met and become friends with a lot, lots of different types of people in different circumstances. And the one overwhelming thing that I have come to care about is humans that can't speak for themselves. Okay. And also science, and to me, loving science and caring about human rights really points to unborn children. So navigating that has been really difficult, and it's not, I am not the person that is um, picketing with the big gory sign. That's not me. But I would love to show people those gory pictures and say, like, this is actually the this is actually the real thing. But that's that comes way later. Yeah, <laughs> not, not the initial assaulting <laughs> yes. people with uh, yeah. posters. Well, so we're not going to talk a- much about that right now. Um, you were recently the main guest on the Bad Christian podcast. People can go find that just a couple weeks back and listen to you talk much more about your process of your thoughts on the life issue. Um, and we will also be doing an episode on that later this season. So I don't want to steal too much of that thunder right now. Do you have any particular interest in psychology? It's another one of the things that we talk about on Depolarize. Um, or are you kind of a noob to that, but it's interesting? Actually, that's the second thing I went to school for. Now I'm remembering that that's why broad brushing was a bad idea (laughs) because I started going to school for criminal psychology and I quit about, I would say a third of the way through because I realized that I would be in school for many, many years and that would be my entire life and that it may not be a passion once I finish it. So I decided to quit school. I'm a proud quitter and keep it as an interest and a hobby and criminal psychology as a friend of yours i can say is certainly still an interest and a hobby of yours yes uh when you and my wife hang out it is usually the first thing you talk about is true crime novels or podcasts or scandinavian crime novels of some sort or whatever it's it's a it's definitely a big hobby area for you it's well, it's kind of gross to call it a hobby in that I want to make sure, make it really clear that I am a victim advocate and I don't just love gushing about the... Right. I just want to make that it's clear. It's not just like suffering porn for you. Yes. No, you're no. just fascinated by it. Fascinated by it. I love forensic science. Uh, I love... But, but criminal psychology especially, I love um, listening to interrogation tapes of sociopaths Especially, it's stuff like that is just fascinating. So you have watched Netflix's show Mind Hunter. Oh yeah. Ugh. I mean, it wasn't. 
it was based on real stuff, but it yeah, wasn't real. That's like my favorite. But I show used to work for years. a criminal psychologist. I was his assistant, and he worked for the Washington DA. Mm-hmm. And he would his clients would be people that were up for trial for federal crimes in Washington State. Okay. So I got to go to the Washington State Federal Prison and um, assist in interviews you with- You say that like it's something that people would love doing, ah, but you're pumped about it. Totally pumped. I got to go to federal prison and go through all the security and go into this little tiny cement room. It Just me, this psychologist, and this like- child molester jeez and it was just one of my favorite things i've ever done wow so that's a little different that's more like abnormal psych it's a little different than the kind of psychology that we'll deal well, with on this there's, show i feel like there's an arc yeah and i'm just somewhere else on the arc than you yeah, are <laughs> as far fine. as interests go that's fine fair enough um and then so this is a show that you know we talk about the intersection of Politics, psychology, and religion or faith. One thing that's probably worth mentioning is that you and your husband were members at Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Mark Driscoll's church, before it sort of imploded, exploded, whatever the term is. That has been a really big factor in, you know, the the group of friends that we both travel in here in Seattle. Um, I never went there. My wife never went there. Uh, but you guys did. So I'd like to ask you... How, you know, if you can briefly, how that has changed the way you look at um, the church in America or church experience or Protestantism or whatever? Well, I think coming from a ultra conservative pastor's kid background, um, I went, I started going to Mars Hill as an adult and as a Christian, pretty confident in my faith. So for me, Mars Hill was not ever something that I felt like I got real wrapped up in. I think socially it was the coolest place to be in town. Certainly, yeah. But I never liked Mark. Um, I believed that God was speaking through Mark, and I I will still t- say that I, I clearly heard the gospel for the first time hmm. through Mark Driscoll, and I believe that that's because God is good. He, God sort of spoke through him and in spite of his flaws. Oh, yes. I mean, in spite of is the the term that you could use when talking about Mars Hill all, all yeah. of the time. Yeah. Um, my husband and I were always treated really well. There was some, you know, missed things here and there, but we um, never saw any of the quote-unquote abuse, if you will. The biggest thing for me was to the, the breakdown that happened socially. So many people that worshipped Mark and worshipped the church and clung to it so tightly that when it started breaking apart, they didn't know what their faith was and they didn't know what church was supposed to be for and all these things. That was scary. That was really scary to me to see a lot of friends just say, I don't even know if I am a Christian. Yeah. And to me, that showed me that people were putting Mark on such a throne and giving him so much power that they were letting him dictate their faith and dictate 
um, what they believe that church should be and do. So that's maybe a lesson that I learned that a lot of people didn't even see because they were in the thick of things and coming from a different experience. But Cole and I were some of the leftovers, um, and we were told by ex-pastors, ex-assistants, to please leave the church. They were pleading with us. They were offering to take us out, and they were crying and saying, please leave, please leave. You're part of the abuse by staying. And that was shocking to me and hurtful, really hurtful, because, you know, people were feeling really convicted and and called to leave that church, and we were feeling called to stay. And that was never respected and that was never honored. And now we're part of a really incredible community of people that came out of the Mars Hill rubble. And we are part of a church now that's so sweet. And the accountability and the transparency of the pastors is is just mind-blowing. And I'm so proud to be a part of it. And it's cool to be in a group of people who went through the same thing together in a different way. I mean, sure. they're not all angry and bitter. Well, a lot of us are still angry and bitter at some, <laughs> some things, but it's not like, you know, a lot of what you're hearing about people that are just still so angry, you know, X amount of years later. And so we somehow dodged a huge bullet, I think. You know, you're talking about people losing their faith or questioning their faith as a result of the demise of that church. That makes me think about sort of one of the things that I hope this show does, because it's one of the things that I try and do for myself by researching some of these questions. Like, I want to learn more about human psychology so that if I'm a part of a church and I have a pastor fall and the church falls apart, it doesn't wreck my faith. Like, I'd like to be sort of prepared and have a sort of a deeper, like a thicker knowledge base of like what human culture is like. Mm-hmm. and what human groups and individuals are like. You mean regardless of how uh, strong you are in your faith? Yeah, I'd like, if something does happen that shakes me, I mean, I'm certainly not uh, invulnerable to right. stuff happening in my life, but I, one of the things that I, one of the reasons I think I'm compelled to try and learn about the type of stuff that we talk about on this show is that I don't want to be so vulnerable. Maybe that's impossible, um, but I don't know, does that resonate with, I don't know, your interest in this show or any of that? Do you mean that you want to kind of build a hard, sh- forgive me, I don't know why this just came to my head, but I'm going to use it anyway, a hard shell of knowledge? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess the way I'm talking about it sounds kind of like a shell, but maybe I could better explain this with an example. I have anxiety disorder. We're going to talk about this. Me too. This season. Anxiety buds. Um, And I used to get really triggered by like end times theology Mm -hmm. stuff and had panic attacks through age like 24 for a long time in my life, for many years, over a decade. And one of the things that really helped me uh, in college to start to dislodge that was just reading about that particular theology and then going, oh, this is when it started. So before you had been just sort of avoiding on it and leaning on your own yeah. sort of like memories of what you'd been taught. Honestly, when I was, you know, when I was younger than 18, just literally trying to avoid it. Like I, I was forced it to scared take, you so bad. Yeah. I was forced to take a Bible class in eighth grade and half the year we did 
end times. Revelation. Yeah, we did Revelation. Me too. And uh, I just would go to class and feel anxious and sleep awful and just try and avoid it. And then when I got to college, I was like, oh, I can, I can actually read about this. Like, I there's books and there are resources, and the knowledge for me of learning where that theology originated. Gives you England, peace. England in the 19th century, right? It's a new thought. That gave me so much more context and it helped me not be so afraid of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's an ang- that's related to anxiety, but you could relate it to other kinds of existential crises, not just anxiety. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're thinking about um, all of the things that could happen with the Trump presidency and yeah. Um, him having the nuclear codes or what Kim Jong-un is capable of doing in an instant or what's happening with black people and people of color and how the uh, white supremacists what is the plural for white white supremacists that seems easy I've said that before (laughs) white supremacists seem to be so emboldened in, in all these things yeah if you just sit and think about all of those things, even if you don't have an anxiety disorder, I think it's causing a lot of people a lot of stress. So I think you're right. I think that knowledge is sort of a peace giver. So the last thing I want to talk about is you have actually been involved with Depolarize for some time now. Um, about a year ago, you were doing some very occasional assistant work for me. And the main thing that you were doing was helping me pull quotes from guests for Depolarize to post on Twitter. So you listened to every single episode from probably episode 10 or so on through 40 or whatever. I always wanted to be a court reporter. So this job was perfect for me because nice. I could listen and just type, type, type. Type and think about what um, were the most sort of salient uh, points that the guests made. So first question is, why did you want to do that work? Because I remember when... I approached you about it, you were like totally pumped. So what? why were you interested in that? Honestly, because I needed to be able to work from home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and well, that's I'm, fine. I'm, I've been working 40 plus hours a week forever. So having right. a kid kind of threw me for a loop and I didn't. I needed some part-time Okay, work. but that's fine. But then once you started, like you would text oh, me. Oh, yeah, like, I hadn't even pumped. listened to your podcast before. Okay, at the time, yeah. At the time. So then you started doing that. And my sort of memory is that you became kind of one of my friends that I could bounce things off of because you were not only, of course, aware of it because you had to listen to every episode, but also like I found you to be like a helpful, enthusiastic friend to bounce ideas off That's of. That's nice. So my, what I'm wondering is what about doing that or what about sort of those interviews stuck out the most to you? Um, what made you think when I approached you to co-host, yeah, this is something that I want to be a part of. I think I wanted to hear full length interviews with people because you know when you hear sound bites, you're not getting a whole round view of who the person is and how hard they worked on something and all of that. Yeah. So it was fun for me to really feel like I'm getting to know this professor from Harvard. I mean, when do I get to listen to that stuff? Um regarding topics that I'm interested in. When I think about this last season, I was trying to think of who my favorite guest was. Because I'm always, what's that What's that movie with John Cusack who's always High making fidelity, lists? top five yeah, lists. I'm yeah. like that. I'm always like, what's your top three blank? Yeah. 
I think my favorite guest of yours, and I know you didn't ask me this, but I'm just going to tell you, was Julie Rogers. Yeah. I liked her because I have never heard someone who is gay and Christian speak from a background of being really conservative. Right, yeah. That was fascinating to me. Yeah, she was great. That that was one of my favorite conversations um, that I've had, and it continues to be a like a popular episode. And yeah. also people mention it to me a lot. Yeah, and it was just a really good... I mean, I've always... Not always, I should say. Most of my life, I thought you could not be gay and a Christian. And then as an adult, I've come to know people who are gay and Christians. And I've never really thought about what that means until I listened to Julie talk. And I really kind of sorted it all out in the most clear way. And it it blew my mind. The, The idea that so many people say that being gay is a sin and I don't know if it is maybe it is maybe being gay is a sin maybe that's just an inherent sin I don't know that's not on my uh to-do list right now but to solve that yeah to solve that but maybe it is but even if it is being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from being a Christian that's true so if you just put the equation together this just in, you can be gay and be a Christian if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's so clear to me now. And I can't believe how judgmental I was before. Not just, I wouldn't say judgmental. I wasn't judging the behavior or anything as much as I was just like, well, that's too bad because they'll never get to go to heaven. Well, so now but I, I don't to, know that. Now I have to ask you a, a an uncomfortable question because now we're going to do this whole season together, and it's not going to be long form interviews with one guest at a time. And that was well, the I thing got that, that out loved. of my system. Okay, you got it out of your system. Now I get to have the microphone, <laughs> so now I don't care as much. Well, I hope that our listeners will enjoy the fact that it's um, it's a bit more patchwork. Uh, we're going to hear multiple voices per episode. It was. A whole hell of a lot more work than the for first Dan. season for me, um, and I think we're going to be able to get at different things that we couldn't get at last season. Um, and Ellen, I'm really excited to share the stage with you this season. I wish we had a stage. I know that would be great. Instead, it's just a little wood-lined room in the bottom floor of our house. Well, we will see you guys next week for episode one of season two. It begins. So excited. I'm excited too. Thank you, Ellen. To stay in the loop about Depolarize, Reconstruct, and any other podcasts that I work on or may work on in the future, go to dancokewords.com and join the email list. Coke is spelled K-O-C-H.